Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good morning. It is so good to see everyone's faces. <laughs> I know y'all don't get to see it from my angle, but it's legitimately good to see like the entirety of your face uh, this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church uh, because what I do for our church family, um, I don't get the opportunity to kind of be on stage uh, to be with you guys. Uh, What I mostly do is I do stuff outside of our Sunday gatherings. So things like our life groups, pastoral care counseling, classes like our city church class, life group basics, and et cetera, and I also um, handle our finances. So because of all that, um, I typically don't get the opportunity to be on here with you guys um, and teach and go into the Bible. So today's passage actually contains um, what a lot of people call the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And back in January, so six months ago, Kent asked me to teach on the passage this morning, and without checking it, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'd love love to do it. I don't get this opportunity very often, so I'd love to teach on the passage without actually checking what this passage is really about, or even the, I didn't even read the passage. And I've known Ken, and I, Ken and I have been pastoring alongside one another for a good part about 10 years at this point, and I, it still amazes me how often I forget just how sneaky and smart that man is. <laughs> because the passage this morning is one of the, pa- the passages that in the Bible that's slightly terrifying and confusing. And in fact, it is in Jeff's top five most confusing Bible passage, closely followed by circumcision. <laughs> in fact, I remember growing up in the church, coming across this passage as, uh, I think it was a middle, I was in middle school or late elementary school, and I was just absolutely terrified and confused by this passage because I'm going, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, this is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. So I was paranoid. I'm going, did I do this? Did I commit the, impor- like the unforgivable sin? Am I going to hell? Because as a 10-year-old, that's probably the worst thing that you can, someone can tell you. You might be going to hell. I don't know. So I was just obsessed with it. Am I going to hell? I don't want to go to hell. People tell me hell's a bad place. I don't want to go. So I just kept asking my mom over and over again, did I do this? Am I going to hell? Mom, what's... What do I do? I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do? Please tell me I'm not going to hell. And which really just annoyed the hell out of my mom. <laughs> so I don't know why Ken asked me to teach this passage this morning. I don't know. He just thinks highly of me in the terms of my ability to teach or he just want to watch me suffer. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out in the next 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, with that being said, I'll love for us to pray and ask the Spirit to kind of speak to us this morning. So let's pray. Spirit, you're invited here this morning. We ask that you speak through the passage this morning, that you speak through me, and that any words that come from just me may be fall away and be faded and be forgotten, but the words that you're speaking to us this morning, may they take hold, may they take root in our souls. We ask you, you move in incredible ways, in ways that only can be explained by 
your ability and your power, not by anything else. I pray all this in your name. Amen. The first thing, in my opinion, that you need to do when you come across a passage that's confusing is you got to look at its context. Because context matters a lot. And we have said before, the Bible is a story. It's not an encyclopedia. Because in, when you read an encyclopedia, what comes before a section or behi- be after a section is not that important. But in the Bible, the context matters tremendously. So, for example, did you know in the Bible, it actually says there is no God in Psalm 14.1. There is no God. And that's kind of a big deal for those of us who are followers of Jesus because when we see the Bible, we're saying this is the very word of God. This is to which we frame how we view the world, how we, this is the, the Bible is the way we frame how we view God, how we view ourselves in light of who he is. And that very framework says there is no God. And that's going to be a little bit, or bare minimum should be concerning for those of us who follow after Jesus, because could it mean that everything we have built our entire lives on is pointless and meaningless when there is no God? But if you read the sentence right before it, it actually says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now that changes things, doesn't it? And that's just taking one sentence out of one verse out of context. Imagine what you can do when you take multiple verses or chunks of passage out of its context. So until we understand the context that we're talking about, the passage we're talking about this morning, until we look at the situation that it describes, the people that Jesus is talking to, it's going to be a little bit difficult and confusing for us trying to understand the part that Jesus says, this is the unforgivable sin. So let's look at the context before we get into the difficult verse, and we're going to start at verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But the Pharisees heard it. They said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So the crowds see Jesus heal this guy, and they are amazed. And because they're amazed, they ask the questions that Jesus' miracles were supposed to make them ask. They ask, could this be the son of David, which is just Jewish speak, for is this the long-awaited Messiah? Is this the, the king that we've been waiting for this, all this time that will come and set us free once and for all? Is this him, finally? Jesus did miracles in part because he wanted people to see who he was. And people started to ask the question, who is this guy? So the crowds were excited. They were stoked that Jesus did this, but the Pharisee wasted no time pooping on everyone's party. It is by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and that's Jewish speak for Satan, not Beetlejuice's cousin, that this fellow drives out demons. All right, do do any of you guys have a friend uh, in your circle that, who just, whenever people like get excited about something, they wanna go ahead and tell you what is wrong with the very thing you're excited about? Like, we all have that friend, like that, that Gerald, like, thanks, Gerald, you know? Like, you know, if you're, just, if you're sitting here thinking, like, I don't know if I know a Gerald, it might be you. I'm sorry. 
So the Pharisees are the Gerald's. They, they wasted no time. They go, hey, everyone, just calm down for a second. The only reason Jesus was able to do this miracle is because he, was on, he is on team Satan. So don't get too excited about this. The Pharisees, who are the uh, religious ruling elite, feels threatened by Jesus because they know they cannot refute the validity of Jesus' miracles. So they can attack, they can only attack the source and power of those miracles. They know they cannot refute the validity of the miracles, so they have to attack the source and power of the miracles. So they start attributing things that Jesus is doing by the power of God to the power of Satan. But this isn't a really well thought out strategy, which Jesus is about to expose. So what Jesus does next is he kind of dismantles the Pharisees' logic by confronting it. He does this twice in the first time in verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he, being Jesus, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Jesus quotes Abraham Lincoln, a house divided against itself cannot stand. (laughs) Might have been reversed there, but Jesus is stating a very simple truth here. If he is on team Satan, casting out demons is is not exactly a winning strategy. It, It would be kind of saying like Apple's new strategy for selling more iPhones is to convince everybody that they are making crappy iPhones. That's just not gonna make us go, oh, this, is not, this is not a winning strategy. That's not a good marketing campaign. And Jesus goes on to verse 29 to further unpack this concept. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, if you're gonna rob everyone's favorite action hero slash wrestler, the Rock Dwayne Johnson, If you're gonna rob that man's house, you better have a plan for the rock. Because if you don't, you're gonna get the people's elbow to the face. (laughs) Or maybe even in our context here in East Tennessee, if you're gonna rob any house in East Tennessee, you better know where the homeowner keeps his shotguns in his house before you go in. Jesus is saying here, how can I cast out demons from people unless I have some sort of mastery or authority over Satan? How can I cast out demons unless I have some sort of mastery or authority over Satan himself? But in reality, Jesus is just tearing down the surface-level pushback so he can get to the real issue that the Pharisees were struggling with. He goes after the real problem at the heart of Pharisees' dismissal of him. And this is where I want us to zero in on this morning, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus says here, the the real reason you're attributing to what I'm doing to Satan because you know the options are either one, I'm doing this by the power of Satan, and you can dismiss my authority, or two, I'm doing this by the Spirit of God, and you have to accept my authority. You have to accept I am who I say I am, and you don't like the implication of number two. Now, let's just pause 
here and kind of spends a little bit of time talking about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit since Jesus brought it up. The Bible talks a lot of different things that the Spirit does, but the two things I want us to highlight on and focus in on this morning is the first one is the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and second, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is points us to Jesus. One of the purpose of the Holy Spirit is bring conviction of sin and being reminded of the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. To start, we're going to focus on the first part, the conviction of sin. In John 16, Jesus talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says, the one thing the Spirit will do is convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So what Jesus wants us to see that when you and I feel conviction of sin, that happens via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, that's the Holy Spirit speaking conviction to us. And I know we usually say stuff like, God has been convicting me of this, or Jesus has been convicting me of this. Well, I will not say that is wrong per se, but to be the utmost technical, it's Holy Spirit is the one that's speaking conviction into our conscience. Which means it is our attentiveness to the Spirit that is what leads us to repent of our sin. It is our attentiveness to the Spirit is what leads us to repent of our sin, to put our trust in Jesus, not just the one time we become a Christian, but in our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. But to put inversely, that means that our inattentiveness and unwillingness to listen to the Spirit is what hardens our heart towards our own sin. Our inattentiveness and unwillingness to listen to the Spirit is what hardens our heart towards our own sin. Does that make sense? If you're attentive to the Holy Spirit, you can repent and walk in freedom. If you're not attentive to the Holy Spirit, you have hardened your heart, you have grown callous to the voice of the Spirit. You have effectively poured cement around your own heart when it comes to hearing from the Spirit and repenting of sin. Does that make sense? Need a head nod. Cool. And it is with that groundwork laid, Jesus drops the next two lines to the Pharisees in verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus says to the Pharisees, effectively, there is a way to so harden your heart towards the reality of your sin that you have boxed yourself out of repentance. There's a way to train yourself to drown out the voice of conviction in your life. You have grown accustomed to hearing the Holy Spirit speak and doing nothing in response. That you have effectively made yourself immune to the Holy Spirit's conviction. And Pharisees have so trained themselves to do this that they consider it is acceptable to attribute the work of the Spirit to the work of Satan. And Jesus is saying to him, you're dangerous to the close not to be able to discern the work of the Spirit at all. You have grown so cold and so callous to that voice. You are so convinced of your own self-righteousness, your own self-sufficiency, that you have no hesitation attributing to the very work of God 
to his enemy. Theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way, once you convince yourself the last remaining bottle of water is poison, you condemn yourself to die of thirst. This is exactly what the Pharisee had done. God sent his very own beloved son to call them to repent, and they were attributing the work of God's spirit to Satan so they can justify in drowning out that voice. And Jesus is saying, once you have decided to do that, you have effectively condemned yourself. Many years ago, uh, this was back when I lived in South Carolina, I lived right next to a hospital and a fire station, primary real estate. I had fire trucks and ambulances going by my house every single day and night, and the sirens are just blasting into my ear hole. And it's gotten to a point where I'll be driving along, a fire truck and ambulance will come in behind me, I couldn't hear it anymore. The sirens have become such a natural part of the soundtrack of my life, I can no longer hear sirens for what they were. It was actually not until I moved to Knoxville, where I live in a quiet, peaceful neighborhood, where birds sing. Guys, I did not, I forgot birds can sing. That's all bad has gotten. When I can hear birds sing, that's when I finally realized, all these years, sirens been coming and going, and I had no idea they were there. The siren has lost its purpose, because it become a natural part of the soundtrack of my life. I simply tuned it out. And that's the fear I have for some of us here this morning, that we have done exactly, with the, same, exactly the same thing, but with the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're so grown, so used to hearing the conviction of the Spirit and doing nothing in response that you can no longer hear him at all. Because Jesus is saying here that our actions have consequences. That when you train yourself day after day, year after year, decade after decade, to hear the voice of the Spirit drawing you towards repentance and train yourself to deny that prompting, eventually it's going to become extremely difficult to hear that voice speak at all. Some of you here this morning, you're confused why every single time you try to open up the Bible to read and to pray, it just feels cold to you. And that could be any number of reasons, but one of them could be this, that you have so trained yourself to drown out the voice of the Spirit that you can't really hear him at all anymore. Now, I want us to just kind of breathe in for a second. All this is really heavy. And you might be thinking to yourself, but Jeff, where is grace in all of this? Where is grace? Where is hope to be found in all of this? I thought that grace means that God can forgive anybody. And the answer is yes, God, God can forgive anybody. But you have to understand the road that grace travels down is by the Holy Spirit's spoken conviction. The road that grace travels down is by the Holy Spirit's spoken conviction. And if you decided that voice isn't worth listening to, there's no way for grace to get through to you. Here's what theologian David Platt says in his commentary on the book of Matthew. Blasphemy against the Spirit of God is unforgivable because the avenue to forgiveness is rejected. So hear me out. God can and will forgive you and anyone else he chooses to, but if you have invented a version of grace that purposely excludes your repentance, 
a version of grace that excludes your need to turn from your sin and turn towards God, what you have is a counterfeit version of grace. If your version of grace demands you to not change and not turn away from your sin and turn towards God, that is not grace, not according to the Bible. Romans 2.4 puts it this way. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here, Paul just said the fruit of God's forgiveness, kindness, and patience is that it leads us to repent. So if you're using God will forgive me as a justification for not repenting, you're, acting, you're interacting with something other than God because that's just not how it works. God's goodness and forgiveness is meant to lead you to repent, not to harden your heart against him. So let me get real specific here for a few minutes because our church has a ton of people that are dating, that are getting engaged, or getting married. I do a lot of our premarital counseling. And this one time I was doing premarital counseling back in South Carolina, we hit a bit of a snag. In, in the part of counseling where we discuss what is sin and what does repentance look like, the topic sexual sin came up in the counseling. And the couple was really honest. They were really, really honest with me, which I always appreciate. So I, d- I did what I typically do. I, I, I opened up the Bible and, and spent a lot of time for us to unpack what is God's design for human sexuality supposed to look like and what does repentance look like in light of that, why God's design is better than our own way. So far, so good. And then I proceeded to ask them if they felt good about the plan for repenting of their sexual sin we had just talked about. And the guy said, well, it's complicated. And I thought, no, it really isn't. But I didn't say that. I said, go on. I said, tell me more. And he began to explain. He's like, well, it's complica- complicated because even we intellectually know what we're doing is wrong. We know the Bible says it's wrong, but we just don't feel like it's wrong. They have so trained themselves over years to silence and drown out the Holy Spirit, the voice of conviction in their lives that they were unable to hear it convicting them anymore. And that's my fear for some of us this morning. That's, that's a fear of mine for our church, that some of us have spent so much time over the years con- when we hear the Holy Spirit convict us and our response to that voice of conviction is, nah, I'm, I'm fine. I think I'm doing just okay. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this too much. No, I like him too much. No, I like her too much. But this makes me happy. I don't want to give this up. No, this is way too difficult. This, you're asking too much of me to change. I'll do it just one more time. And that this whole time, you're well on your way not being able to hear the voice of the Spirit entirely. Now, for some of us, it might not be that we drown out the voice of conviction of the Spirit, that you might be drowning out the life-giving voice of the Spirit that he's trying to tell you. The lies that you believe about yourself are, I am worthless, I am unlovable, I'm beyond hope, and the Spirit is trying to speak to you, no, you're not. You're a beloved son, you're a beloved, you're a beloved daughter of the Most High King. You have infinite worth. 
You're so loved and cherished. And then you go, yeah, but no. That's just not how I feel. You've so consistently drowned out the truth about yourself with lies that you can no longer hear that truth spoken to you and over you. There's a voice calling to all of us. Turn from your sin. Turn towards where life is found. That voice is telling all of us that life found in Jesus is better than a life wherever you're chasing it. That voice is telling us that whatever Jesus is calling us to give up for his sake and for the gospel is going to be worth it. That Jesus' body broken for us and his blood spilled out for us, all of that is so that we, we, all of us can know that our sins have been forgiven. But that voice only can be helpful if you will listen to it. That voice is only helpful if you will listen to it and respond. And the second thing that the Spirit does in our lives is points us to Jesus. Not only the Spirit brings conviction into our lives, the Spirit actually, one of the roles that the Spirit does is points us to Jesus, points us to the good news and hope found in Jesus. And this is where it absolutely breaks my heart. Because when I see people harden their heart towards the Holy Spirit and drowning on his voice, not only they're ignoring the warning that the Spirit's trying to speak to them that the destruction that sin brings, they've also drowned out the good news and the hope that they need to hear about Jesus. They have so hardened their hearts towards Jesus' love for them. The love that went to the cross to redeem them. They have drawn out the voice that reminds them all of that. The voice that says, you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High King. That you are clean, you are whole, you are holy, you are unblemished. You are worthy, you have infinite value, you are desired. That voice whispers to you that you are already perfectly loved by the God of the universe. You no longer need to search for things to find value and hope. The need in you to be fully known and fully accepted and loved has already been offered and given to you through the cross. Because Jesus saw you and he said, I will go to the cross for you because you are worth it. And all those voices have now been replaced with, you need more. You're not enough. You'll always be alone. You're broken beyond hope. You cannot be loved. You have to have this to be whole. God is withholding joy from you. It breaks my heart because when you drown out the voice of the Spirit, it leaves you in an incredibly dark and isolating place. And Jesus is over here offering you hope and freedom and life. But the unbelievably wonderful thing about Jesus is that he doesn't stop speaking even when we stop listening. I mean, look at the story here. Jesus walks right up to the Pharisees who he's saying are guilty of this particular sin and he calls them on it. He calls attention to it. Jesus isn't just doing this for his own peace of mind. He's doing it because he wants them to listen. And maybe for you today, God has you here for, on this particular Sunday because he wants you to listen too. If you're hearing this right now and you're thinking, some of that sounds like what I'm doing, don't hear it and do nothing about it one more time. 
a lot of people and a lot of pastors that I know throw in a caveat when it comes to the unforgivable sin, and it goes something like, if you're nervous about committing the, uh, the unforgivable sin, you definitely have not committed it. Well, I get that sentiment, I really do, but I like to tweak it a little bit. I'll put it this way. If you're nervous about committing the unforgivable sin, repent. You can train yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit just like you can train yourself to drown out his voice. Repent, turn from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Listen to the Spirit's loving conviction and respond to it. Repent. Because if you respond to the voice that's calling you to repent and to trust, then you know for a fact that you have not committed the unforgivable sin. It's really that simple. Let's continue on in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus is saying here that the evil in the heart of the Pharisee is so full where it overflowed into their words against Jesus and to the Spirit. That they have hardened their hearts so much, it's clearly displayed through the words that have spoken against Jesus. That their words were not just a mere misunderstanding or a slip of a tongue, it is out of the condition of their heart. It's not a one-time thing that they have done, it's a heart posture they have towards the work of God. They have refused to repent and to listen to the voice of the Spirit. So the question is, where are you today with Jesus? Where are you today with the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you? Do you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to you through conviction or to um, encourage you and remind you what Jesus has done for you? Do you listen to that voice? Or are you more familiar with the voices I mentioned earlier saying, I need more, I'm not enough. I don't wanna turn from this. Because my plea to you this morning is to stop and repent and listen to the voice of the Spirit that's lovingly and wanting you to see life is found in Jesus alone and not in whatever you're chasing. So a couple of thoughts before we close today. I want us to practically talk about what are some things that we can do to position ourselves under that waterfall of grace where we can hear the Spirit. The three things. The first one is personal time. The Holy Spirit uses several different avenues to speak to us. He speaks to us when we are in the Bible, when we're reading the scriptures. He speaks to us when we are praying to him. If you fill up your life with so many things that you never pause or slow down enough to do these things, you will have a hard time hearing the voice of the Spirit. And look, I get it. We're all incredibly busy people. But all the more, isn't that all the more important that we actually create some intentional time to do that and interact with the Spirit? If every morning we get up, the first thing we do is check our phones and check our emails, we're stacking the odds against ourselves to be able to hear from the Spirit. 
If we fill up our schedule with, from 9 in the morning all the way until 9 at night, you're going to have a hard time hearing from the Spirit. If every free time that you have is filled with social media app, YouTube, Netflix, TV, or whatever hobbies that you have, if every free moment you have is done in that, you're going to have a hard time hearing the Spirit. We have to carve out some intentional time where we can slow down enough or we're not distracted enough and we can actually be present and hear what the Spirit is saying to us. The second one is be around Holy Spirit-filled community. Hebrews 3.13 actually says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so, catch this, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That the body of believers, the followers of Jesus, the, God, the family of God, we actually have a responsibility to one another and that it is to encourage one another for what? So that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So this means that this, one of the ways that Spirit actually speaks to us is actually through God's people through other believers who are also filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means, do you, have you positioned, have you oriented your life? Are you in a relationship where you have those opportunities for that to happen? Are you walking in deep, intimate, meaningful relationship with other followers of Jesus where they can speak into your life? Are you open and vulnerable and honest enough with them that the Spirit can speak through them? and calling you to hear conviction or encouragement? Or do you replace those people, those community, with people who only know you from a distance as a way to drown out the voice of the people that are deeply connected to you? Or do you replace those type of community with people that you kind of just cherry pick people who are just fans of you who will never speak hard truth to you. So you don't have to hear the voice of conviction through the community that knows you well. Or worse, do you let the voices of people who don't even know Jesus speak over you and that their voices weigh more than the people of God that has been, God has placed in your life that is filled with his spirit? If your inclination every time community engages you on something or makes you uncomfortable is to decide to avoid them or not listen to them, or worse, say that they're unsafe and write them off, you're training yourself to drown out the voice of the Spirit speaking through them. And if you don't have that type of a community in your life, it will be incredibly easy to flow through life silencing the voice of the Spirit, or worse, thinking that you're hearing the voice of the Spirit when it's actually your own preference and tendencies. You need people in your life who can help you test what the Spirit is saying and hold you accountable for actually listening and responding to it. So if you have that community already, fantastic, that's great. Keep digging in, keep pushing into those relationships, keep opening yourself up to these people, keep inviting them in to speak into your life, if you don't have the community, I would invite you to check out one of our life groups because that's one of the purposes that our life groups is designed to do. And the last thing is practice listening in the small things. Practice listening in the small things. One thing I've noticed is that we don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden 
we, we listen and obey the Spirit, um, the Spirit telling us in everything we need to do. That's just not how it works. We drift there over time. So it starts with the Spirit telling us it would be good to get up a little bit earlier to be spending some time in the Word, in the Bible. It could be the Spirit just telling us and prompting us to pray on our drive to work or our, our walk to class. It could be the Spirit telling us to initiate that relationship with a person in your life that doesn't seem to know anybody. It starts with them telling us to take the little steps of obedience. And over time, when we practice listening and responding to the little things, it becomes easier to obey him in the big things. It's not easy, but it will be easier. When he is telling us that dating relationship is bad for you and you need to break up, it started to make sense. When he's asking you to turn down that job because it prevents you from being around God's people and ability to tell more people about Jesus, it makes sense to turn down that job. All of a sudden, obeying becomes a more of a natural thing for us to do in the big things because we've been practicing it in the little things. So practice in responding to the little things so when the big things come, the voice of conviction will be crystal clear. So the passage today is not about whether or not that one time you said a bad word against the Holy Spirit. The passage today is actually Jesus is telling us the God of the universe desires to speak to you through his spirit. That he wants good for you. So when he convicts you of things, he wants life for you. He's not withholding joy from you. When that voice is speaking to you about your worth and identity, he wants you to remember that the good news of the cross means that you are now free and life to the fullest is, is available to you. That you no longer need to run to chase and prove anything else. You don't need to drown out that voice anymore. That's what this passage is about today. So don't run away from that voice. Don't try to silence it. Listen to it. Respond to it. Don't harden your heart against it please, because that's the avenue of grace and forgiveness Jesus is offering you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I confess that um, I'm guilty of this way too often. Whether it be that I cannot slow down enough to pause to listen to you or when your voice is crystal clear and I, and I choose to run away. So Spirit, I, I'm, one, thank you for never giving up on us. But second, Spirit, I ask that you give me and give all the strength to listen and to repent. Would you remind us that you care about us, you want good for us, that you desire that all of us to be made into the, more, into the image of Jesus more and more. Father, thank you that you have sent your son to the cross so that we may be adopted into your family. And not only that, Father, thank you that you've given us your spirit in us that empowers us to be able to say no to the things that are destroying us. I thank you that hope can always be found at the foot of the cross. 
Holy Spirit, we, we invite you here. We invite you to speak this morning. us to kind of spend a little bit of time of just reflection right now. Um, kind of keep your eyes closed. I think it would be weird to spend a morning talking about listening and slowing down to listen to the voice of the Spirit and not do that right now. Have you been drowning out the voice of the Spirit in your life? the convictions that the Spirit is trying to speak to you, to call you to turn away from? Are there life-giving encouragement the Spirit is trying to speak to you this morning? Let's spend some time reflecting that.